We've been jumping around a little bit throughout the life of Jesus because for revival, is there any better person that we could look to than the life of Jesus, you know? And uh, we've kind of been jumping around a little bit in the life of Jesus. And here in Matthew chapter 4, if you're very familiar with Matthew's Gospel, this is Jesus in the wilderness fasting and being tempted. So, uh, Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1, and if you are able, I'm going to ask if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. But Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1, again, I believe this is from the Nazarene International Version, so if you got your Bibles with you, just follow along with me. Then the devil was led by the Spirit into the wilderness... Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Whew, that, forgive me, Lord. Um, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What a heavy verse. And like we learned yesterday, the key to life is these red letters in the Bible. If you've got a fancy Bible, that was in red letters right there. We're going to really get into that later. Reading along with with me in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, again, red letters, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated this this evening. So, there's a lot going on here. A lot going on in this passage of Scripture. And it's kind of like an iceberg. You know, we're just going to this evening kind of be just touching the surface here of what all is really taking place in this passage of Scripture. Because it is just filled with so much good stuff. I mean, there's, there's so much that we just... Unless you want to be here till midnight, we don't have an opportunity really to get to. Um, and, and There's just so much good stuff. But what I really want to focus on tonight is what Satan here in this passage of Scripture is hear me when I say this right here. What Satan is trying to accomplish... And I really want to focus in on what Jesus is accomplishing. Because there's so much that Satan here in this passage with Jesus that he's trying to do, but we see in this passage it doesn't work. And we see so much that Jesus does do. We see so much that Jesus is accomplishing. And one of the things that I love that Jesus really teaches us here, not trying to give too much away, but how much Jesus truly knows God's Word... And how we see Jesus fight temptation. Maybe you're going through a battle in your own life as well right now. Maybe you've been fighting temptation as well. And we see from the greatest example we've ever seen right here from Jesus how to fight temptation. The second thing that I think is really important for us to know is recognize 
Who's in this story right here in Jesus' life? In this moment, Jesus is in the wilderness alone, fasting. There's no one else with him. We see the devil comes later, but Jesus in this moment is by himself. The disciples, it doesn't say we're off in the distance. Actually, we see in Matthew, if Matthew's kind of going in order, we're not really sure or not, but if Matthew is going in order, Jesus hasn't even called his disciples yet. And so Jesus here is by himself. So how did Matthew find out about it? How did Luke find out about it? And Mark very briefly mentions it. How did Mark find out about it? Apparently, Jesus told someone. Jesus was alone in the wilderness right here. And Jesus felt this moment in His life, this time in the wilderness was so important that He wanted to tell someone about it. And I think he knew it was probably going to be written down in Scripture about his life. And it was so important for us to know today. And I believe that all of God's Word is inspired by him. But I feel like this part right here, this story is just like, Jesus really wanted us to know this. It's really important that we get this. What is Jesus teaching us here? And so Jesus was alone, so he had to tell somebody, wow, tell somebody about that. He had to tell somebody about this moment in his life. And the third thing before we get into the passage, really, starting with verse 1, that I think is really important for us to know is where is Jesus at in his life? And Jesus here hasn't yet begun his ministry. We see later in Matthew and even according to Mark and even according to Luke that Jesus is getting ready to call his disciples. He hasn't really begun his ministry yet, but both Luke and Matthew uh, record that Jesus was just baptized. Jesus just got baptized right before this. Literally, the passage right before this, Jesus was baptized by his cousin John. And so what a moment in Jesus' life. Maybe you can remember your baptism. What a moment in your life. How awesome was that moment that you chose to follow God and you said, you know what, I'm going to show the whole world, I'm going to show my church, I want everyone to know that I'm choosing today to follow God. And Jesus had literally, right before this moment, just been baptized. And maybe you can even testify to this in your own life of just what an amazing mountaintop experience. I mean, just, you're like Moses in the Old Testament. You're on top of the mountain, and whenever you come down the mountain, your face is just radiating the glow of Yahweh, the glow of God, and you have to put a veil over your face because the world can't handle what you just experienced. And Jesus here is on the mountaintop, but literally right after the mountaintop, it seems like when we're up there. It seems like when, you know, we just got baptized, when we just had revival, when we just went to church camp, when we just went to NYC, when we just were in the presence of God, we're on the mountain. It seems like the valley below us is right there and we're just so close to the danger of falling. It seems like we're about to maybe go. It's such a risk. It's right there. And it seems that much scary. Jesus here goes from the mountaintop to then being in the wilderness, which outside of Jerusalem, the wilderness from what we know today probably isn't the best place to find yourself. The wilderness fasting, but then ultimately being tempted. And I don't think it's by any accident. I mean, I remember whenever I would go to church camp, 
What an amazing experience. What awesome moments I got to have an experience at the altar being in the presence of God and seeing my friends get saved and us just pouring our hearts out and letting each other know what we were really going on with in life. And that we loved one another and we supported one another. What a mountaintop experience. But darn it, church camp ended on Friday and I had to go back home. I had to go back to my teammates. I had to go back to school. You were at revival, but man, the next morning you had to go to work. You had to go back to your family members. You had to be around your friends again. And that temptation is waiting right there. Like Tony said, as soon as we walk out these doors, it's right there. Waiting. And Jesus, He's even susceptible to this. Because remember, Jesus was fully human. He was fully divine, but also fully human. And so Jesus here, we see Him here in this moment, and it's where we pick up in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It helps if you read the second verse after that, but let's just pause on just that first verse for just a second. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what verse 1 just read? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to what? Be tempted by the devil. And I don't know about you, but whenever I first read that, I pause for a second, and I'm like, hold up, this doesn't sound right. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So how, that sounds really contradictory. And so many people get confused with so many different passages of Scripture because sometimes whenever you pin them against each other, it sounds like they're contradictory. But what's really important is to read verse 2. And to know that there's a lot more to the picture here. What's really important whenever we're trying to understand Scripture is to understand it fully, not just isolate Scripture and just hear just one verse here and one verse. we got to have a full understanding. That's why studying our Bible is so important. Studying and getting into God's Word, like Jesus says in this passage right here, why it's so important. And so whenever we see verse 2 and verse 1, Jesus went to the wilderness to fast and to pray. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be alone with God. Because Jesus, if He is at the beginning of His ministry here, if Jesus is at the beginning of His ministry, actually right before it's about to start, Jesus is probably going into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days about something that's really pressed upon His heart. Something that he might be struggling with that what does this mean whenever I do officially begin my ministry? And we see Jesus throughout his entire ministry, many different passages of scripture teach us that Jesus really struggled because remember, he was fully human. Jesus really struggled with the thought of the cross. Jesus was not eager beaver to go die and suffer and and take on the shame of us and be spit on and ridiculed by everyone and die and suffer on that cross. He was fully human. He knew there was no other way. But Jesus really struggled and wrestled with this. And so Jesus here, we see throughout His ministry, here He's praying about this because He knows that once His ministry begins, there's no stopping that train. Once his ministry begins, this, the, it becomes more and more certain that there's the cross. And I, if, if I can only imagine, I mean, 
If I was in Jesus' shoes, I'd be thinking, God, is there any other way? Can we avoid the cross? Can I die in old age in my bed happy? Does it really have to end in the cross? And we saw yesterday, Jesus again struggling with the thought of the cross because He told one of His probably best friends, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because it was a temptation and a struggle that He... This wasn't the first time that He struggled with this. He told His disciples. He let them know, hey, I'm going to be rejected. The religious leaders, they're going to hate Me and ultimately they're going to kill Me. And Peter says, no. And Jesus says, get behind Me, Satan, because that's a temptation that He's struggling with. And then we see Jesus in the garden kneeling down praying before the Father. And He says, Father, if You are willing, take this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but Yours be done. And so Jesus is really struggling here. He's really he's fasting 40 days in the wilderness about this. And we're surprised that when we pray about something for five minutes that we don't have an answer about it, yet our Father, the One who taught us how to live this life, He prayed about it and fasted for 40 days. Maybe we need to take that same posture. Maybe we need to learn from Jesus here and really bathe something in prayer. Before we take another step, stop, be in the presence of God, and pray and listen. And so Jesus here, we see it says right here in verse 1, it says He went into the, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now tempting, tempting is a funny word. Tempting is a word where it's an opportunity for us to choose to do what is wrong. But a test is an opportunity to choose to do what is right. And a temptation here, the work of Satan specifically in this moment to Jesus, and what he's also going to do in our lives, is Satan is going to tempt you because Satan wants to know where you stand. Is their faith really in God? How much do they really trust God? How much does Jesus here in this moment really trust the Father? Maybe if I can just put a kernel of doubt in here, maybe if I can just get them one step away from God or two steps away from God, how, how much do they really trust God? Jesus tells us that a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. Satan says, with just a mustard seed of doubt, how far can I get them away from God? Just a little bit of doubt. And so Satan wants to know where you stand. But God also wants to know where you stand. And so with your faith, there's going to be opportunities when you come to a crossroads. And a test from God is an opportunity to choose to be faithful to Him and to follow Him and to choose to do what is right. And so when God tests us, we have an opportunity to do what is right. And what the devil is going to try to use to destroy you and to bring you down and to push you further and further away from God is an opportunity with God to choose to be faithful. You've got an opportunity in your faith. You're going to come to a crossroads. And God is testing you. And Satan's going to use that opportunity to tempt you. But God is testing us. And some of us don't like to hear that. But if it's true, authentic faith, it has to be tested. Then is it really faith if it's never put to the test? 
Jesus in this moment right here is tested. And we see in Scripture in the Old Testament that Israel, the entire chosen nation, people of God, they were tested as well. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. Israel's faith was tested. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus' faith was tested. And it is with certainty that your faith is going to be tested. Why? Because God wants to know where is your heart. He wants to know where is your heart. Why? Because God wants your heart. He wants all of you. Just like we talked about yesterday. He doesn't want just a part of you. He doesn't want just your family. He doesn't want just your job. He, does, he wants all of it. That's why we can't give God just a little section of our heart, just a little pie. No, He gets all of it. He wants your children. He wants your spouse. He wants your career. Do you trust Him with everything? God wants all of your heart. Why? Why does God test us? Why does God want all of our heart? Why does God want to know that no matter what, no matter what temptation comes our way, we are going to always follow Him? Why does God want to know this? Because God calls us to go into the world and make disciples. He calls us to go into the world and make disciples, and He needs to know, are you ready to go into the world? Maybe you're not ready. Are you ready to go back to school? Are you ready to go be around your friends again? Are you ready to go back to your job? Are you ready to be around your family again? Are they ready for this? Because I'm calling you to go and make disciples. Where? In the world. And the world is coming. The world is waiting for you just outside those doors. Are you ready? God wants to know where you stand. Where is your heart? He needs to know. And so your faith is going to be tested. And man, it's going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. It's nice and easy to talk about it up here, hidden behind God's Word. But man, when tests come your way, it is not going to be easy and it's going to hurt. And we're going to talk more about that later. But Jesus here, as we continue reading, it says in verse 2, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. That has got to be the most obvious verse in Scripture. The tempter came to Him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so Jesus here, what I love, remember, what is Jesus accomplishing? That's the answer that we're trying to come to. What is Jesus accomplishing here? And Jesus went to the wilderness to be alone, to be with the Father. Where did Jesus not go? Jesus didn't go to Mary, His mother. Jesus didn't go to John. Jesus didn't go to His friends. We don't know if He had His disciples yet. It doesn't seem like it according to Matthew, but maybe He did. I don't know. But He didn't go to them. He didn't go to the temple priests. Jesus knew that no matter what, no matter what answer His pastor gave, no matter what answer His best friend gave, no matter what answer His mother gave Him, it wasn't going to be good enough. The only answer that was going to help Him in this moment, the only advice and counsel that He trusted was His Father. And Jesus knew that. Do we know that? Do we know that sometimes 
No answer is going to be good enough that I could ever get from so-and-so. I love them. I trust them dearly. I trust them with my life. But in this moment, no answer is going to be good enough other than God. And sometimes you've just got to stop. you just got to go away for a little bit. You've got to be silent and just be in the presence of God and listen. Because only God's answer is going to be good enough. And I want to clarify this right here that's really important to know. There is nothing wrong with going to your pastor. There is nothing wrong with going to your spouse. There's nothing wrong with going to your sister or brother or mother or father or your best friend or your boss or whoever it is that you really seek their counsel and trust. There is nothing wrong with going to them. But if you always go to them, and you always go to them first because you really trust their advice, and you always go to them before God, then we are sinning because we are elevating them and their opinion above God's. And we're making them an idol. We we're elevating them and putting them above God. Then we are sitting. I want to make sure I really clarify that. But Jesus here in this moment, or um, Satan here, what I think is kind of ironic and kind of funny, is Jesus, or, or Satan in this first temptation is tempting the bread of life with bread. My wife and I, we've been out west for like the past year and a half and I would say at least half the time we've been out west we've kind of been in desert areas Salt Lake City has a beautiful um, national forest just on the other side of the mountains there but also you go the other direction and it's you've got the salt flats and you've got the salt lake and you've got literally tumbleweed what it is is it's these um, dried up sagebrush bushes that just die and wither away and it's so windy out in the desert it's like the old wild west moments where literally you'll see tumbleweed going flying across the road it's kind of funny but the desert is a dry rocky place there, there's rocks everywhere and Jesus, if He wanted to in this moment, Jesus could have turned every single one of those stones into a giant fluffy loaf of bread if He wanted to. Because Jesus had divine power. Jesus, this is His creation. He can do with it what He wants. But He didn't. He didn't do that. But Satan comes at Him and tempts the bread of life with bread. Because why? Satan is smart. Satan realizes, let's just take a chance right now. Why not? He's been fasting for 40 days. He's physically weak. He's probably pretty hungry. Let's go after his appetite. Let's try to get him to turn. Let's see if I can get him to listen to me. Let's see if I can just get him to use his divine power selfishly, not for the sakes of others, and do it for himself and turn these stones into bread. And Jesus does it. But Satan is smart. And he's going to do the same with you. We did this in basketball. Whenever I got to the high school, we didn't really do this in like middle school or anything, but whenever I got to high school, we started um, scouting teams in basketball. We would watch game film on them. We would talk to other coaches and other teams that had played them to see, you know, what kind of happened, you know, this game and everything. And what we would ultimately do is we would try to figure out who's, you know, some of their worser players in their starting lineup. You know, what's weak about them offensively? Where's their weaknesses defensively? You know, wh what are the areas that we can expose to beat them? And Satan here is going to do the same thing with you, and he's doing it the same thing with Jesus right here. What is his weakness? Right now, physically, he's pretty weak. He hasn't eaten in apparently 40 days. And so I'm going to go after that. Satan's not stupid. But then he goes on to say, if, if you are the Son of God, 
if I just stopped for a second right there, and if I could be in Jesus' head for a second, if, what are you talking about, Satan, if you're the Son of God? If you better than anybody know who I am. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word that it's talking about right there is Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning through it all. Jesus was there whenever they cast Satan out of his presence because he tried to take the Father's glory. Amen. He was selfish. He wanted it all for himself. And Jesus is like, I was there. I've already defeated you. If, how dare you if, I'm insulted. You know, I mean, just if you're the Son of God, you know who I am. And not to mention the passage right before this. I was baptized by my cousin John. And what did the Father say as soon as I came out of the water? Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus, through it all, knew who He was. There was no question about His identity. He knew that He was the Son of God. The question is, do you know that you are a child of God? Because what Satan's going to do, if, remember, just a mustard seed of doubt. If I can just get in their head just a little bit of doubt, maybe I can get them to question their identity. Maybe I can get them to question their Christianity. Are they truly following God? Maybe just that little bit of doubt. Can I get them to question if you are a son of God? If you are a daughter of God. And I don't care. I'm going to tell you today. I don't care whether you like it or not. You better know that you are a child of God. Whether you like it or not, you are a child of God. But He's going to get in your ear. He's going to try to tempt you. He's going to try to get you to doubt. And don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt whether you are a child of God or not. You are forever a child of God. And the devil here, right after a mountaintop moment for Jesus, right after a confirming moment for Jesus, just getting baptized, and I can't help but think too, maybe what Satan's trying to do here in this moment with Jesus, is Jesus, if you are a son of God, if you are the son of God, why are you here in the wilderness starving right now? Why do you find yourself in the circumstances that you find yourself right now? If you are the Son of God, then why is the Father asking you to ultimately go to the cross? If God really loved you, would you be going through this? And He's going to try to do this with you too. He did it with Jesus. He's going to do it with you. Anytime that something difficult in your life comes up, maybe when you lose a loved one, Maybe when you get the wrong diagnosis. Maybe whenever you lose your job. Whenever you're going through something difficult, He's going to try to get in your ear and say, if God really loved you, if you're really a child of God, then why are you going through this? And it's not always the most popular thing to hear, but just because you choose to follow God doesn't mean that you're going to be guaranteed an easy life. Doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed a perfect life. You're going to be guaranteed an awesome life of following God that is just filled with so much wonder and just things that you just can't even imagine. They're just going to blow your mind. Yes, that is going to happen. 
But life's also going to be difficult at times. The blessing also comes with the sword, just like Simeon told Mary. I mean, there's going to be difficult times. I mean, just look at the disciples. None of them got by easy after Jesus ascended into heaven and they started spreading the Gospel and they started building His church. None of them got off easy. And they knew Jesus. It's not going to be a perfect life. but Man, it is going to be awesome, but the devil's going to take every opportunity he can get to just get in your ear. And if you're reading along with me, we're in verse 4. It says, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that is the key to it all right there. It's always Jesus' words. And Jesus right here in this moment, teaching us how to fight battles, Jesus here knows God's Word. And Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 right here. But what is Jesus coming at? What is Jesus teaching us here? It's kind of a moment to pause and a little bit of a reality check here to ask us, where is your heart? Who do you love? Where does your heart really lie? Or maybe in the world we live in today, it's a better question, what do you love? But where is your heart? Where does it really lie? And I think something that is a really cool thing that we can do right here that would be really powerful is in the Scripture where it says man shall not live on bread alone, replace the word man with your name. Replace man right there with your name. It says, Jared shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are you hanging on every word that God says? Are you truly hanging on every word that comes from the mouth of God? If you want to know how to fight Satan, if you want to know how to fight temptation, if you want to know how to win a battle, do you really know the Word of God? It's the key. Are you spending time? And I'm not trying to make this a checklist for you. I'm not trying to make it just another burden in your daily tasks. But are you truly in the Word of God? Are you hanging on the Word of God? Do you know the Word of God? Because when temptation comes your way, it is so important that we know the Word of God if we're ever going to fight temptation. In verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Again with the if. If you are the Son of God, he said... Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan here, Satan's a theologian. Satan knows the Word of God. He's a bad theologian. He misuses the Word of God right here, Psalm 91. But he knows the Word of God, and he's going to use it against Jesus, and he's going to use it against you. He's going to try to trick you. Again, do you know the Word of God? Because Satan can use the Word of God against you. So how well do you know the Word of God? If He can come at you with the Word, He comes at Jesus with Scripture. He comes at the Word with the Word. And Jesus here, He's like, alright, this is a pretty weak one, Satan. Like, It's my Word. You know what I mean? 
But Satan here, he's going to come at you with the Word. Do you know the Word? It's important. And he comes at the Word, with the Word. And the, the thing that's so funny about this is it's really easy for us to find ourselves actually here in this moment in Satan's shoes. It's really easy to misuse and manipulate the Word of God. I'm probably guilty of it. Maybe you're guilty of it. There's a lot of people out there that are guilty because here's what can happen. You can make the Word of God sound however you want to. You can isolate verses. You can isolate passages and focus just on them. Focus on just certain words and forget everything else. You can make Scripture say whatever you want it to say. There's a lot of words in here. This is a big book. You can take words and make it say whatever you want it to. But why would we do this? It's a terrible idea. And I think we do this because we don't want God's Word. We don't want God's will to truly shape our lives. We want to shape God's Word. And we want to manipulate God's will to fit the lives that we've been living. We don't want to change. Change hurts. Change is not fun. We don't want to do that. And so we're going to do whatever we can with God's Word to make sure that we can stay as comfortable as we can the way that we've always been living and somehow make it sound just right so we don't have to change a thing. We can just keep living life the way we've always been living. And that's a very dangerous temptation because what we want to do is we want to try to get God's Word and stretch it and manipulate Scripture to support and justify our lives rather than let God's Word truly shape us and stretch us and fit us under His Word and His will. And it's really, it's a lot easier to stretch the Word of God than it is to stretch you. Humans are really stubborn. Humans are really difficult. I'm stubborn and I'm difficult. My wife, um, my wife the past few months excuse me, has been getting into yoga the past few months. And yoga is all about stretching and core and body strength and balance and stability and all these different kinds of things. And I, for a long time, have felt guilty about how not flexible I am. Like, can't touch my toes. I'll do it for you guys over here so you can see. Knees are locked. I cannot touch my toes. I'm not flexible. I never have been. And... Um, Part of me just wanted to blame it on the fact of, well, you know, this is just my body and my body's always been tight. I'll never be flexible, you know. But my wife, she watches on her phone on this app this little skinny British lady that can twist into a pretzel. And I have no idea. And she expects us to try to twist into a pretzel. And it hurts. And um, it's really easy for me in my frustration with my, lack of, with my lack of flexibility to get mad at the little British lady on the phone and say, no, I'm not going to do this because that's impossible. Because stretching, I don't know if you know this or not, especially if you're not flexible, but stretching hurts. But you know what? It's really easy, because humans, we like to do the easy thing, it's really easy for me to point my, point my finger at the little British lady and blame her for me not being able to be flexible and do that. That's impossible. I'll never do that. No. It's really easy for me to want to do that. But there's nothing wrong with her. 
It's not her fault that I've been doing the same sports, the same exercises, the same workouts, carrying myself with the same posture for 28 years. No wonder my muscles are so tight and not flexible. It's not her fault. It's on me. And so I have to make a change in my life to make sure that I'm regularly stretching and doing the things that I can to have a better body and a more whole, flexible, holistic, whatever they try to teach you in yoga mentality life. And it's the same thing with God and our relationship with Him. It's really easy whenever we hear something that we don't like or whenever we get into His Word and we read something that we don't like, when we come across that, to want to blame God and say there's something wrong with you. Can I tell you something though? There's nothing wrong with God. Maybe we need to take a look inside at ourselves and maybe there's something with us. And maybe God, and it hurts, stretching hurts, but maybe God is trying to stretch and shape you into His will to be made more into His image. He wants you to not carry the image of Jared everywhere you go, not carry the image of Sheila everywhere you go, but He wants you to carry His image everywhere you go. And you know what? When you've been doing things for the same way all these years, yes, it's going to hurt whenever you try to stretch and change and come under His will. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. But we can't put ourselves into Satan's shoes in this story. We can't be manipulating God's Word to fit our lives. We have to let God's Word shape our life. And the thing that I love about this is Jesus in this moment, and whenever we like Jesus, whenever we spend time with God, whenever we truly get into His Word, Whenever we're truly in His presence, it's like He was with Israel. We're humbled. We're not prideful. We're not proud. We don't come up to God with a big puffy chest waving our finger. When you're truly in the presence of God, you're humbled and you're, it's like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You're humbled. And you're changed. Whenever you come into the presence of God, Whenever you are before your Creator, you are humbled and you are changed. I don't know if you were really in the presence of God, in the presence of your Creator, if you walked away proud. He humbles you. I'm a man of unclean lips when you're in the presence of God. You are not the same. You're changed for forever. Jesus answered him. It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus, what He does here is He comes back at Satan with the Word. Because it's Him. It's His Word. It's His will. And He knows it better than anyone. Shouldn't be surprised by that. But Jesus, in this moment, He comes back at Him with the Word. How do we fight our battles? How do we fight temptation? With the Word. And He's also quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16 there. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. This is the last temptation. This is the final one. All this I will give you, he said, 
if you will bow down and worship me. And this temptation right here, this is the most desperate temptation of them all from Satan right here. But this is also the most enticing, seductive, biggest reward temptation of them all. Because what is Satan offering Jesus here? Satan is offering Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he'll just bow down and worship him. And he doesn't have to take on the cross. He can avoid the cross. This is his way out. This is the biggest temptation of them all for Jesus. This is what he was just in the wilderness fasting and praying about. And praise the Lord, that's what Jesus was fasting and praying about. If you want to be able to face temptation, have you just been in the presence of God? Have you just been praying and fasting for 40 days to get ready for that temptation? Jesus, our Savior, the greatest one to ever show us how to live this life, had to pray for 40 days to be able to defeat that temptation. How seriously do you take your prayer life? How seriously are you really wanting to fight that temptation? Are you willing to fast about it? I hate that. I love food. I don't like fasting. I did a 30-hour famine with Pat Shea one time and it was the worst. And they came back at the end of it all and fed us with rice and beans. I was expecting a great meal. I never eat rice and beans. But how seriously do we take temptation? How seriously do we take God's Word? And how seriously do we take prayer? Jesus, our Savior, the greatest one to ever do it, needed 40 days of prayer. Are we willing to do this as well? And Jesus here, this was a good way out. This would make everyone so happy. He would fulfill the kingdom that everyone wanted. He would be on top. Not Rome anymore. Not Babylon. Not Egypt. But Israel would be on top again like the days of David and Solomon. It was the king that everybody wanted. It was the king that was coming in on a stallion, not a donkey. It was the king that everyone wanted. But you know what it was going to be? It was just going to be another earthly kingdom. Just another one that we read about in the history books. And Jesus knew that God had a plan. Jesus knew that the kingdom that He was after was an eternal kingdom. It was a kingdom that wasn't just going to give them power. Power, it's one of those things of this world that fades away. No, it was a kingdom of peace and love and hope and best of all, salvation for the entire world for forevermore. Not just a kingdom right now, not just some earthly kingdom, but a kingdom for forevermore of salvation. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus in this moment actually quotes back at him Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. But Satan was trying to offer Jesus right here an earthly kingdom. And Jesus knew that God had a greater plan. Jesus knew that it was about an eternal kingdom. And so the question is, 
as we see through the example of Jesus in this story. Jesus, it wasn't an easy road for Him. There was temptation. There was suffering. There was pain. And ultimately, there was a cross. And if we want to share in the glory with Jesus, then it's certain for you as well that there's going to be suffering. If you want to share in the resurrection with Christ, then you also have to die with Christ. And that hurts. But it's the truth. If we want to share in the resurrection with Christ, then we're going to have to die with Christ as well. He says right here, the key to it all, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And tonight, I want to invite Tony to come back up at this time and and just play, and I want to pray about it. But I want you to think about this question tonight. Really, don't be afraid to get honest with God for a moment. Really, just be honest with Him and honest with yourself. You're not answering for me. You're not answering for the person sitting next to you. You're answering to God and you're answering to yourself. And you need to be real. And answering the question, where is your heart? Mm 